Welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And today, Kobus, before we get started, I'd like to do a little bit of housekeeping. And there's one very important announcement I'd like to make in terms of a new podcast survey that we've got. We've been doing this podcast now for five years. Uh, we have a very, very loyal core listenership of about, uh, I'd say, 10 to 15,000 per week that kind of download it. Uh, but we'd like to hear from you, uh, our listeners, what you think. And so we've built out a survey over available on our website at chinaafricaproject.com slash podcast. That's chinaafricaproject.com slash podcast. And it's a, you know, a quick 10-question survey. It'll take you no more than three to four minutes, but will help us so much in better understanding how you listen to the show, whether you like it, what you'd like to hear more of. Uh, and so we really appreciate it if you could do that. Okay, Gobus, let's move on today. We're going to stay again in South Africa. This is the second week in a row. And today we're going to talk about a rather dramatic fall in tourism, not only from China, but from around the world, in part because of a series of new visa regulations that the South African government has imposed, and it's had a profound effect uh, on the tourism sector there. Kobus, get, get us started in terms of what is involved in these, uh, in these new restrictions. These new restrictions are ways to try, according to the Department of Home Affairs, who runs the who runs visas in South Africa, they're, they're an attempt to try and tighten up illegal, on illegal immigration and also on child trafficking. So this means that there's a whole bunch of new laws, including that people who want to come to South Africa on tourist visas need to apply in person, um, and that if they are traveling with kids, they need to bring a full, full and unabridged birth certificate. This is a massive problem because in the first place, applying in person in a country like China, you know, kind of where South Africa has two, um, two visa offices and the country is massive, is actually, you know, kind of a big thing to ask. Um, and also in certain countries, you know, certain countries don't issue unabridged birth certificates. So, you know, kind of it has been a, a kind of massive chaos and in the process, the South African tourism industry has taken a real, a real hit. Well, let's talk about the real hit. Uh, overall, tourism from February this year to from February last year to February this year has declined 7.2%, but the most pronounced decline is among Chinese uh, who have gone down 32.4% in that same time. Now, that's a very important figure, in part because since 2012, China has been the largest outbound tourism market in the world. Uh, in 2014, according to the latest stats, the total number of Chinese outbound tourists was, uh, nine, was 109 million people. And uh, China's also poised to overtake the U.S. as the largest business travel market in the world. So the fact that South Africa now is making it more difficult, and the fall in Chinese tourism in South Africa has been so sudden, uh, should raise the concern of a lot of people, and it is. One of the people that it's raising the concern most is Mr. David Frost, who is the CEO of the South African Tourism Services Association. Uh, welcome to the show, David. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you have been very vocal with your opposition to this, these new visa regulations. Tell us a little bit about your position on this matter, and, uh, and, and why do you think the government has implemented these measures, and are they effective? Well, firstly, I mean, they, they, were, they were introduced in, in June last year, and you know, we, were, we were immediately uh, um, sought to try and engage the, the Department of Home Affairs, because Prior to them being promulgated, there was absolutely no consultation with the uh, with the tourism industry whatsoever. 
Um, and unfortunately, even in even in the year since since June last year, we've we've not had one opportunity to sit down with our Department of Home Affairs and and sort of put our case on the table. Um, just to clarify, and Curtis did give a very good synopsis. As far as China is concerned, the only the only real impact is this requirement for in-person um, visa applications. From for countries that that require visas to South Africa, the birth certificate um, requirement is not applicable because the birth certificates are are forwarded as as part of the uh, visa application process. But having said this, the 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 real incidence of uh, the the requirement um, hit 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 China in August last year. And essentially, the Chinese uh, tour operators just said this is an absolute no-no. People are not going to travel vast distances within China. And in terms of just a, just a pure sort of cost analysis, we've, we've done a couple of sort of case studies, and it basically costs twice as much to travel from within China to Shanghai or Beijing and, and, and spend two days getting the visa than it actually costs taking the uh, holiday to South Africa. So it was, it was, it was no surprise when, when the majority of Chinese um, operators in China pulled South Africa out of their brochures because those, those pages cost money. They need to re- make a return on investment. And other destinations um, are not quite falling over themselves, but are certainly doing whatever they can to, as you say, tap into the very, very lucrative and very um, uh, sort of massive uh, Chinese outbound, outbound travel market. And I mean, Australia is uh, one of those destinations. We've recently just announced a, a, a 10-year multiple entry um, visitor visa that uh, they're targeting uh, sort of uh, China with, and, and it's no surprise that they get 10 times as many Chinese tourists as South Africa gets. You know, kind of one, of, one of the problems, I think, is that um is that South Africa seems to have this delusion that they are offering something that no no one else is offering, um, you know. So, and and I think that is really being tested at the moment because countries like Botswana and Kenya are you know offering a, a very similar kind of tourist experience as South Africa does, especially in relation to seeing wildlife relatively up close. So you know, kind of it, it's just a baffling move to me. Yeah, no, absolutely, Curtis. And I think, uh, you know, one of one of the things that we've tried to engage the government on is, is um, instead of trying to do this um, in market in China, and there has been talk from Home Affairs about setting up satellite stations around China, but that's a, that's a, that's a sort of a fairly costly exercise. It's, it's going to take time. There's a lot of uh, uh, political protocol that has to be uh, gone through. And what we're saying is we need to just, we don't even have to go off the African continent. We just, we have to look at best practice in terms of trying to make this easier. And that, and that is to capture the biometric data on arrival. Um, Kenya does it, uh, Senegal does it, Tanzania does it, um, going further afield into the Gulf, Abu Dhabi does it. Um, and what, what, what that would entail is that the, is the Chinese travelers could then apply in the normal um, way that they have done up to now, which is basically to send all the required documentation. And bear in mind, that's not, that's, that's not sort of a, um, a lightweight process. There's, there's, there's an intense process of, 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 of submitting the requisite documents, um, which are then scrutinized by the security officials and the home affairs officials. Um, and only then would the, would the uh, um, prospective tourist be issued with, with permission to travel. But all we're saying is that, that rather than capturing the biometric data, the, the, the sort of iron finger data um, in, in China, we should just do this on a on arrival in South Africa. It would make things it would make things smoother, and it would also it would also 
to our mind, be, be far more cost-effective than the sort of very costly process of trying to set satellite stations up all over a, a country like China. And bear in mind, given the size of China, you're still going to require people to travel to those particular satellite stations. You're not going to cover cover every, sort of everywhere. But, you know, the, the, the effect is, has, has been profound. In the last four months of last year, tourism... Um, the official uh, stats from China dropped in the last four months of last year by 46%. Um, and, you know, just to contrast that, uh, and, 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 and for the year in total, the whole of 2014, they were down 27%. But bear in mind, in, in the five years prior to these, these regulations being promulgated, we were growing the Chinese market at 30% compound a year. I mean, we, we, were, we were really doing well. We'd, we'd taken it from, from relative obscurity into one of our top five markets. Um, and the tourist industry really does see the potential. We certainly um, don't want to lose the uh, uh, Chinese market. So we, we're doing everything we can, working with our Minister of Tourism, to actually get um, uh, Cabinet, to get uh, the, the sort of senior decision-making body in the country to actually put in a review of these regulations. And we're confident that if we can have a review and have an opportunity to put uh, best practice on our case on the table, we will get these reversed. And we would certainly very much like to to reinvigorate the Chinese market and, and, and have Chinese visitors back here. Well, there have been some very real consequences to this decision. Air China, uh, China's national flag carrier, uh, postponed, possibly canceled a direct flight between uh, China and South Africa. Uh, that they, I think, was suspected because of the drop-off in traffic. Uh, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people across South Africa uh, make their livings in the tourism business. So when you see a 7.2% drop overall and a 30% drop from Chinese visitors, that has real economic consequences. I guess what I'm scratching my head, because over the past, say, two years, the relationship between China and South Africa has blossomed in so many different ways. Kobus and I have talked about this on the show multiple times. And I guess I'm trying to figure out what is behind this policy, because obviously there's some reason. And the idea that it's against child trafficking to me is a bogus one, because there's no country in the world that promotes child trafficking. And lots of countries, as you pointed out, are able to control child trafficking while making a visa process uh, accessible for people. So I just, I'm confused as to what is the government thinking because Jacob Zuma himself is under tremendous domestic pressure to generate jobs and to, to keep the economy vital. So what is going on here? What do you think is the real reason for these new regulations that seem to have had such a devastating effect on inbound tourism? Yeah, sort of, you know, look, look, look I think we need to just sort of separate the issues. Firstly, the, uh, the, 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 bio, the, the requirement for in-person biometrics is there as a, as a, as a sort of security um, deterrent and to sort of try and eliminate sort of illegal, illegal sort of immigration into the country. The, Separate from that is the requirement for children to carry birth certificates, and it's the latter that that, that is that is meant to be targeting child trafficking. Um, but that's a whole separate debate. I mean, it's you know that they, the government, um, the only bit of data they put in put in put on the table through the whole process is a finger is a figure of, of supposedly thirty thousand children trafficked out of South Africa. We've we've exposed that as an absolute bogus figure. It's most, it, 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 it is totally unsubstantiated. But, but can I interrupt um, you? I'm very sorry, but are yeah. that many people traveling with their children to Africa? I mean, that, I under, I mean, if that was the main kind of obstacle, when I see, it's just so expensive to travel to Africa from China and from other parts well, of the world. 20, 20% of, of uh, air traffic into, into South Africa is uh, are 
uh, is what we call multi-generational travel of people with uh, families. South Africa is a very family-friendly uh, destination. So from our, from our, particularly from our, our main source markets, which is North America and Europe, there is a huge sort of a um, um, child thing. But I mean, that's that's a sort of a bit of a red herring because, as I say, that that figure's been sort of um, um, exposed. Let's get back to the biometrics because that really speaks to the effect on China. So what, what Home Affairs have told us is there's this absolute huge terror threat. And, and there certainly have been some sort of, and as, as one well knows, some quite, quite real terror uh, incidents on the African continent. However, we, we, we sort of of the opinion that we're relatively insulated on the, on, on the southern tip. But let's just take, for example, uh, just, just accept for the moment that, that there is a, is a very real sort of terror threat. Um, the irony is that they come along and tell us there's this terror threat. We ask what it is. They say it's so massive and so horrible we can't even share it with you, but we need to do this thing. But the irony is that they've, they've announced these, these measures. It's spooked the market. The market is, is gone. Operators have pulled us out of their brochures, and, and that's the same as having your product pulled off the supermarket shelf. Nobody can buy it if, if it's not on the shelf. Um, and the irony, the oxymoronic irony, is that they haven't put a single machine in a year. They haven't got a single machine in place. So we've got the double whammy where we know safer, but uh, we've, 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 we've absolutely sort of decimated the market. And, you know, to my mind, I think there's a, there's a particular uh, grouping within Cabinet that uh, is a sort of se- around particular securocrats who've got a got a particular agenda in this in this regard and one of the one of the issues that sort of comes to mind is you just wonder why there's been absolutely no discussion and no no opportunity to engage in dialogue and as soon as you start putting the facts on the table and we've commissioned two very substantive reports from an, a very respectable um, an international consultancy, Grant Thornton, who, who you know, and we forwarded, forwarded these through to the Minister of Home Affairs and, and our Minister of Tourism. He's been incredibly supportive. He's on side, and he's trying to rally the other, the other ministers in cabinet, not, not to be the Minister of Trade and Industry, because as you say, this, this whole relationship with China has certainly um, blossomed and is, and, it, and is a burgeoning one. And if we putting these measures in place, it's also going to have a major impact on, on trade and industry. And as you say, the, the, the decision from, from, from China to postpone it, they actually specifically mentioned the visa regulations. Um, you know, we've been trying to get this message through, through, to, through to government. I mean, when we looked at the month of June, all air ticketing into South Africa, this is our, our art of air ticketing. So it's a, it's a, it's a measure of your forward bookings at the, on the 1st of June looking forward, comparing the month of June in 2015 to the month of June in 2014. And we were, from all destinations, 32% down. But the real, the real drop came out of Asia, where we were 54% down. Mm. That's huge. Cobus, let me get your take on this. Let me get your analysis of what you think is behind uh, this policy. Um, Okay, there's a few things going on here. In the first place, you have to remember that illegal immigration to South Africa has been a big problem and a big big political issue for a while. Um, But what you also see at the same time is an increasing securitization um, of the South African state, which which David also referred to. Um, There's been a bunch of different laws over the last while, all tightening 
you know, kind of security in lots of different ways, including, a, you know, kind of quite onerous state secret bills, media control bills, um, immigration, like visa laws relating to, to workers, foreign workers, in, in, you know, kind of in South Africa, um, which all, you know, the, in the case of the visa laws, those are frequently couched as trying to, to tackle the illegal immigration issue. But it is a misnomer because most of the, you know, kind of the, the people targeted by these laws are professionals who work in South Africa. And those aren't the people who are here illegally. The people who are here illegally are people who simply walked across the border, um, you know, kind of, and, and are, you know, kind of eking out a living as, you know, kind of as people who guard park cars in on the streets of Johannesburg, for example. So, you know, kind of, they're not they're not tackling the, the they're not tackling the problem they say they're tackling. What seems to be happening is that there is just a tightening of security and the creation of of all kinds of new security apparatus, you know, kind of throughout the whole. Of, of, of South African society, um, and that I think is it's part of a, of a bigger move, um, you know, kind of in, in South African political culture, um, and what and that includes what what David has mentioned is that there is the kind of um, the kind of play acting of due process, you know, in the sense that these these laws are are promulgated and then put out for for public comment, and then the, the comments are gathered, and then the laws go forward, you know, kind of. So there isn't a really a situation where um, due process leads to, and, and the protests against the visa laws, for example, or the protests against these, you know, the different kinds of visa laws, both those laws drew a lot of protest. None of that protest led to any shifting or changing of the law. It simply, you know, it was this kind of pro forma, um, putting it out for comment and then moving ahead. Sure. You know, kind of, so, so I think, yeah, so, so, so it's, it's indicative of a shift in political culture in South Africa as a whole, I think. David, uh, the Chinese tourist now is among the world's most valuable market in the sense that on a per capita basis, the Chinese are spending more than almost anybody else. In fact, in Paris, the number one tourist market in the world, the Chinese are the number one spender. A country's tourism brand is like any other product. And if that brand goes bad, it can take years to repair the damage in the eyes, particularly of travel agents who may think, well, you know, maybe Chinese people aren't welcome in South Africa. And changing that mindset uh, could take a very, very long time. So this a decision, in my view, could have a profound effect on the long-term future of South Africa's tourism business, in part because, as you mentioned, Botswana, Kenya, or maybe Cobus mentioned this, are all competing vigorously for that Chinese tourism market. So I guess, you know, just to kind of wrap up our conversation here, where do you see this going and, and how do you undo the damage that's been done so far? Well, look, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. And I mean, I think Corbus's comments are also sort of well, you know, well taken. But it's, it's it, you know, you're spot on. I mean, we, we, are, we are honestly sitting here um, absolutely, you know, just gobsmacked that, that, that we're, a, we're an industry that doesn't ask I mean, we're actually the dream industry. I mean, we all other, you know, other other industries in South Africa have been wrecked by a lot of labour unrest. The mining industry, manufacturing hasn't has been particularly lacklustre. Um, but there's you know, there's 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 been a lot of issues in those industries. We we we've had our poultry industry and, and the Agora deal with with America being quite fraught. But and 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 these industries tax government a lot. They ask for subsidies. They ask for intervention. We're the dream industry. All we ask is just just leave us alone and let us get on with what we do. We've got a budget that's half the size of, our, of the arts and culture budget. 
The auto industry in this country, which Corvus will know, there's been a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth and sort of been held up as this paragon sector. It employs in total 32,000 people. The tourism industry in South Africa employs 1.5 million people. Hmm. And all we ask is just leave us alone and let us get on with what we do. We promote the country. We're the biggest brand ambassadors because what we do is we don't go and sell the country in terms of the negative um, issues such as in Kandla and the Marikana massacre and everything else. We, 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 we put those to one side and we go out and sell the positive attributes of our country. And as a sector, I think we've done particularly well in the last 15 years. Um, since 1998, when we had a massive sort of push into tourism. And clearly China was a, was a, was a, was a key market. I think we've got, we've, we've got a brilliant team at South African Tourism. Bradley Bow, the country manager in China, is an absolute star. Um, and we've worked really well. As I said, we've grown this market 30%. We, we, we're certainly not as well positioned as a country like Australia, but we were, but we were on track. And when you consider that, that Australia last year grew the, the Chinese market, and bearing in mind they're getting 900,000 odd tourists by 18% of that high base, you know, it, it clearly speaks to that sort of opportunity. So we absolutely gobsmacked that, 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 that the small group of, of, of incredibly arrogant securocrats has been allowed to sort of come in and absolutely decimate that. And as you say, particularly in a market like China, where where sort of form and, 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 and the way you do things carries huge weight and, 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 and has a significance, it is going to take um, certainly a, a long while to sort of claw this, claw this market back. But, you know, we're here, we're still optimistic, we still believe we've got a great product in the, on, on the uh, sudden tip, but, you know, we, we need to be cognizant that there's nobody has a, has a, has a, has a sort of preordained uh, um, destiny to come to South Africa. Tourism is the most competitive economic sector on the planet. It's the only sector in the world where you compete against every country in the world. Um, and, you know, we, we, we've certainly got to get our act together. So there's, there's, there's a sort of a strong burgeoning sort of lobby within the country that's actually just daily putting facts, putting data on, on the table. And uh, hopefully at some stage, uh, Cabinet wakes up and realizes that uh, you're basically sort of killing the goose that's laying the golden egg. And we're the only economic sector that's growing and growing at the moment. So, yeah. Cobus, um, you know, let you know, me... Oh, so, that's where we are. Yeah, Cobus, let me give you the final word to you and, and my observation here. And just I'd be interested to hear what you think on this, that... Beyond the economic impact, there's, there's a human impact. And one of the most important parts of the emerging China-Africa relationship is the actual human contact that people have with one another. You know, nothing breaks down a stereotype better than actually talking to another person. And the fact that fewer Chinese are going to South Africa and fewer South Africans are, meeting, are going to meet Chinese and interact with Chinese, um, to me, that, that, that forms potentially serious consequences in terms of, you know, a hardening of ties, stereotypes kind of start to prevail and whatnot. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what you think the, the broader impact of this might be. You know, I think one, one needs to make a distinction between the relationships between governments and the relationships between people. It seems to me that the relationship between the South African government and the, the Chinese government, and especially between the African National Congress and the Chinese Communist Party, those relationships are very strong. They're closer and closer and closer. Um, but that's a slightly different question than the actual lived experience of individuals. And I think though that those experiences are more 
fraught and have been have become more complicated. Um, so I completely agree with you that that is where the real base of the relationship lies. Not only the political and you know kind of person-to-person uh, -person relationship, but also to a large extent the economic relationship, because so much of China-Africa trade is not in the form of state-owned enterprises, but it's in the form of individual traders who actually make the trip to, to come to, to South Africa and actually set up a shop here, and also Africans going to China to, to you know, kind of to facilitate trade. Um, so person-to-person -person relationships has a real, they have a real um, economic impact as well. Um, so I'm a little worried. Um, the friends of mine who work in China-Africa migration studies have been saying that the the trader community, um, Chinese trader community in South Africa is actually eroding slightly because the economy is flat in South Africa at the moment, um, and that they find it difficult to make money over the last two years, and a bunch of these traders are, are planning on leaving. Um, so I think the the loss of the kind of person-to-person -person relationships that are built by tourism and by this kind of small-scale trade is would be a real loss because then you are simply le left with party apparatuses, you know, kind of locking together and working together. And I think that is that's a much much uh, weaker, you know, kind of stricter, darker relationship than the one we have at the moment. Well, it doesn't appear that any decision is going to be done soon. Uh, so. This is a story that will take probably months, if not years, to unfold. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us. David Frost is the CEO of the South African Tourism Services Association. He's fighting aggressively to reverse a series of new visa regulations that have had a devastating impact on inbound tourism, not only from China, but from around the world. Uh, David, if people want to follow what the, 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 your, your group is doing, your association is doing, uh, what's the best way for them to kind of stay on top of this issue and to get, and get, and get involved? Well, we've got, a, we've got a particular sort of section on our website, which is www.satsa, that's S-A-T-S-A dot com, um, where we post um, articles. We, you know, it's basically a chronology of, 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 of um, the debates and, and sort of uh, letters, uh, succession of uh, interviews um, um, and, and the like. So that's... That's probably a good a good sort of uh, locus to sort of um, just sort of focus in on. Fantastic, and you'll see David quoted throughout the media on this issue, and it's one of the most fascinating aspects now of China-Africa relations. And no doubt, you're going to see an aggressive move by the Kenyan tourism associations and Botswana and all the other countries in Africa who are going to fight vigorously to pick up the uh, the slack that's coming out of South Africa. So, uh, the fascinating topic. And Kobus, if people want to follow what you're reading and writing these days, what's the best way they can stay in touch with you? You'll see me on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And I'm also on Twitter at Stadnesq. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm tweeting the top China in Africa headlines almost every day. And once again, we've got a, a listener survey that we would be so grateful if you could fill out. Just go to our website at chinaafricaproject.com slash podcast, and you can find our survey there. We'd be so grateful if you can fill it out. Any feedback just helps us make the show that much better and that much more useful for you in the future. So until next time, we'll be back again with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.